Welcome to the Advancing Talent mini-series with Western Governors University here on the Innovation and Leadership Podcast. I'm Jess Larson. Really looking forward to this episode. We've got Sandra Humbles, Chief Learning Officer of Johnson & Johnson. Uh, Sandra, thanks for doing this. Oh, I'm really, really excited to be with you today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so let's start with just a couple of things. Let's talk about how long you've been at J&J, how many employees are J&J, and what this crazy place down in Orlando is. Yeah, no, so um, I, I, I feel very privileged that I joined Johnson & Johnson 33 years ago um, out of the United Kingdom first for my first 10 years uh, in very you know, various sales and marketing positions and then got the opportunity to move out to the United States first based out of New Brunswick as our you know, corporate head office. And then in the last couple of years, um, as I moved into being the first chief learning officer for J&J, got to move to Orlando to a very special um, building. And it, uh, it was an acquisition J&J did 15 years ago called the Human Performance Institute. And it brought a capability to our organization about putting the employee and energy management at the center and unlocking that whole potential. So um, I have now based myself from um, our J&J Learn Orlando campus um, and bringing that capability to the whole organization. Just a little bit on Johnson & Johnson. As you know, uh, we have two big sectors now, our pharmaceutical sector and our med tech sector over 130,000 employees all around the world. And uh, my job is to really serve all of them and unlock their potential to bring their best self uh, to work every single day. Yeah, well, I have so many things I'm interested in. Um, you know, I think I, I usually co-host this with uh, my friend Spencer Stewart from Western Governors University. And um, he uh, he's really focused on like um, the partners, like their big clients are like Apple and Amazon and McDonald's and, and you know, if they're trying to do like upskilling, like people want degrees, they work with Western Governors, right? And so he's got a certain set of questions and my questions are a lot of times more on the, um, like so many of the listeners of my show are founders who went from having a dozen people in a garage to now maybe thousands of, of employees in a very short period of time. And most of them did not become a CEO because of their HR backgrounds or their learning backgrounds. They were, you know, probably in sales or they were uh, an engineer or something like this. Right. And yet they're at this, they start getting to these stages where they're like, man, I cannot do this out of force of character. Like I have to have systems to help our whole team reach another level. Like we can't just only hire great people. We have to then continue to build them. And so many of us have, have been a part of corporate trainings or, or learning programs where it was like, they weren't as outcomes focused. They were maybe like, did everybody stay in their seat till the PowerPoint was over, <laughs> right? And so sometimes there can be discounting of learning departments. And then when it goes well, it's like, I mean, it, it's such a, it's such a force multiplier to have huge swaths of organization members being upskilled and, and have new capabilities. And so I think my question for you is when you think about helping 130,000 people become better versions of themselves, help, you know, do better for the community, be do better for the shareholders, all these kind of things. What's one of your principles when it comes to um, adding capabilities, not just logging learning hours? Yeah, you know, we've been very fortunate um, to be really laser focused, right? So we start with, well, you know, what business problems are we solving? And there's probably no surprise, um, you know, in terms of what that meant by prioritization to what I was thinking about. Um, I think when you think about Johnson & Johnson, you think about being a, a leader. So our leadership capability and how do you bring that at scale to all employees. Um, with COVID, um, everything changed and our digital upskilling became, you know, not just my priority, but the EC's priority, right? And how are we going to help people do work differently? And, you know, all of that became you know, one of the biggest uh, transformations we've ever done. You know, you then add on top of that, you know, you know what's happened in our society and being a really inclusive company and in inclusion. And then the last element, you know, has really been 
thinking about the burnout of our employees and how do we give them, um, you know, help them with behavioral changes and, and, and actionable uh, activities to really, you know, look after themselves so they can be their best selves. So I was extremely fortunate to, you know, from my EC level and from our CEO, the strategic priorities were very, very clear. So we ran at that those problems and that's what we solved. And, you know, when I start to look at, you know, the data and, you know, that's the beauty of having digital ecosystems and AI helping you, you see where people are engaging and, and really uh, taking the time to go deep. And those four areas I've mentioned are is the data just completely supports it that, you know, we know if people don't digitally upskill, they're going to get left behind. So, you know, people are going in and looking at generative AI, they're going in and look at intelligent automation. It's, you know, the skills they need in, in the transformations that we're seeing, not just within J&J, you know, but within our world. So one of my principles has been from the day, listen to the business and set those very, very clear priorities and, and run to the fire that we're trying to, you know, to solve at the most senior level of J&J. So um, let's pick one of those four to start with. Let's talk about this digital upskilling. Um, you know, this is something we're facing at my company where uh, I've got a business partner who's really technical and on about a weekly basis, he and uh, one of our, our team members have invented some new like automation to AI back to automation tool for us. And then the whole rest of the company doesn't know how to use it, right? And then um, the only people who really get good at it are the ones who are actually using it specifically, but the rest of us might have to interact with it. And like on, on a much, much smaller, smaller scale, we're dealing with that internally. So I want to talk about this idea of like, you know, how can CLOs partner with the CEO? And, and so talking about this priority specifically, like helping thousands of people learn AI, knowing that that's not people's backgrounds and like not just knowing about it, being able to use it. How do you think about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great, a great question. And so, you know, for me, it started with the strategic partnership and the executive sponsorship of those initiatives. And again, we were in such a great um, situation here where our CIO and CHRO and also the two, you know, our two sector business leaders said this is going to be something that we need help on. And there's some things that are common across J&J &J that we should be solving together. And then there's some things that are, are unique to different sectors or different functions. And so, you know, we had the subject matter expertise, in, you know, in the business or function of data science, um, intelligent automation, uh, machine learning, you know, we were, you know, really the strategic partners with them to help build that. But then, you know, as you know, creating the right learning experience and the right engagement requires having the right talent sat in um, the learning and development um, office, right? So I actually have a leader of digital upskilling um, who has done two massive transformations already once at another healthcare company, and then one at a financial industry, and brought that expertise into my organization to help us to do this fast. And, you know, over the last couple of years, um, you know, because it's not one size fits all, and I think that's the tricky piece, right, because of the different complexity of a manufacturing floor to a lab to, to an office-based person. And so we've created um, different missions and have a you know digital base camp and i can give you a really fun story even for myself yes i am in i am definitely not a digital native but i've digitally upskilled for the last um you know sort of 10 15 years and one of the things that was really bugging me was just the tsunami of emails and if you think about that's just a basic thing if you read every single email for like five ten seconds that's hours a week and so I did the base camp on intelligent automation and took that seriously myself and did a personal intelligent automation. So PIA, right? So maybe that's a new, new acronym for you. And now it's game changing. I have saved hours a day by just doing the basic fundamentals. And I think my job is to keep looking for those nuggets for different populations, right? The segmentation strategy. And then starting to roll things out, test and learn, 
and then, you know, literally scale them to all. And I think some of that, you know, helps us with ways of working, um, productivity, so effectiveness and efficiency. And then I'm going to go right to the top end of this, you know, in our med tech business. I mean, they're bringing robots to market, right, to help um, more precision surgery and less invasive surgery. And so, you know, you need the advanced sort of um you know, skills build there. And that's where we would then also partner externally with the right groups to bring that subject matter expertise in. So as I say, even in the space of just digital, multi-dimensional, it's like a Rubik's cube, you know, you're always figuring out which way to go. Um, but I think we're in a really good place to help, you know, different groups do different things. And, you know, my leader, is plugged into all of the top um, councils so that we are there to support um, their build, use their subject matter expertise, and get something then that is absolutely scalable um, to our employees. Yeah. So, I mean, you covered so much ground there. I want to hear about surgery robots and stuff. Let's let's go back <laughs> to AI for a minute, though, okay? Because nobody has been doing AI for 20 years at any of the companies most of us work for, right? So, um, when you think about AI and like, you know, there's awareness of it, there's having seen it, and then there's being able to use it well enough to do my job better with AI than I was without it, right? Um, can we get like a little granular, like, hey, here's something that we thought AI, these folks actually needed a capability instead of just awareness, or like, you know, this is such a hot topic these days. What What's a yeah. what's an AI story? You know, and you know, and I think it, it you know, it could, it, it's different across our different sectors and also in our functions. And I would say we are still at the experimentation level, um, but with some really good um, early signs. So maybe I'll go into our pharmaceutical um, team where they've really been looking at AI to help them in clinical trials and being much more efficient in how they're looking at that and uh, that has been a you know just a rapid rapid view but it, it took bringing the right leader in with that already um, data science view and then helping to you know bring her team along you know on that journey rapidly and we're starting to see those results I think the piece that we're all trying to unpack uh, is in our you know different functional areas where can it really take work out of the system and then allow the, you know, the human piece of all of this to do the more strategic work and the solutioning. And I don't think we've all got that answer yet. So I think, you know, my job is to start, um, you know, creating the right environment and the, you know, the awareness training, the access to be able to experiment, and then the subject matter expertise around that so that, you know, if people fight, you know, want to fast fail, they can, we pick them up and then we send them in the right direction. So I would say it, you know, we are well on our way, um, to figure some of this out. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's still very new and, you know, every day, um, saving hours and hours of time by asking the right questions and pulling in the right data. And I, I do see particularly in the generative AI space, that is going to start, you know, helping us both with effectiveness and efficiency across the board. Well, let's talk about this. So let's say somebody listening today, they could be chief learning officer or chief people officer or, or CEO, and they're trying to navigate the subject matter expert issue, right? Like who actually has the right expertise, who has the right expertise and is good at teaching it, and how do we have a system that will help us realize we might not be teaching the right thing yet and we need to go back to the beginning and start the experiment over. L let's yeah. just start with that right there. If you had advice for, you know, CLO, CPO or CEO as they're trying to navigate even just that decision. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's it's definitely two dimensional if not three dimensional. So what do I mean by that? I would say what we have done, you know, a really good job of is identifying who those subject matter experts are and they're usually in the business or function right they're not using usually in the learning and development department and so by default um you know my team needs to be extremely connected into the functions into the councils and a seat at the table and you know that's job number one 
I think on my side of it, I've then got to have the really good learning performance consultants who are in partnership, you know, with those subject matter expertise, who then have the strong instructional design um, principles. And that's where then the magic is happening. And that is what we are absolutely seeing. Um, we've got to stay prioritized. So is it, you know, generative AI, intelligent automation, the use of data and analytics to, to get better insights? That is being really the secret sauce and always having that um, definitely lead subject matter expert, but then it's also having the council around it who also are having a massive input into that. And, you know, I do think our model that we've set up at Johnson & Johnson is serving as well of, you know, the learning function, um, having the right capability and being invited in by all of those senior leaders, whether they're in the digital space and you know other areas where we're where we're focused. Um, so I want to talk about this subject matter expert has the you know functional background, has the subject matter expertise, the domain background, paired with the instructional design experts. I, I want to talk about this: an instructional design expert who you know is helping guide this subject matter expert of like how are we going to deliver this, how are we going to measure it. When it gets down to um, testing competency, like, okay, here's, here's something that could save the business thousands of hours, maybe millions of dollars if we get good at it. Um, but uh, again, back to the, like, it's so easy to check the box of like, I sat through the training where, you know, that's not that helpful to the business unless they can now perform a job differently. When it comes to that, like really granular, like measuring, you know, this employee, we spent this money for this learning. Are they actually good enough to do that at work? What are what are things that you found more effective or less effective in that kind of post-training competency verification type of side of instructional yeah, design? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna back you up just just a little bit first to maybe give you the framework that we have deployed, which I'm actually extremely proud of. And it's been with us probably more than 10 years, but we've digitized it. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So our development framework at Johnson & Johnson starts with um, reflections and insights, right? So putting you at the center of, of that dialogue and looking at, um, you know, your skills, you know, what, you know, where are your towering strengths? Where do you have some weaknesses? And having that conversation and alignment very early in your journey within what I'm what I'm going to share. So basically it starts absolutely there in, in knowing yourself and getting that within our digital ecosystem. Where the magic starts is our development framework and it has, you know, basically the three dimensions. Getting the head knowledge or education and learning thinking about the experiences and, you know, you know, really the practice of how you are going to do this. So the application, and then with, you know, with exposure, we're thinking much more around, you know, the mentorship or the sponsorship that you have to really make sure that you're, you're drilling in there. So if I said I wanted to skill up in, you know, artificial intelligence, actually the easiest part of it is gaining all of the head knowledge, right? And, you know, you can go out onto, you know, our J&J Learn platform, or you can go you know, out onto the, the net and you'll find whatever you want uh, to really upskill in, in AI right now. So where the magic is, is then the application. And so within our J&J Learn ecosystem, um, we have, a you know, basically a, a whole gig platform within there where people can say, I'm upskilling in this particular area, and then they can go on to a project assignment, can be 20% of the time, sometimes 50, sometimes 100, and then start applying that knowledge with experts around them to, to guide them. Also within our platform, um, you can also, um, we're gonna call it my dating app now, I've got the mentor matching app, that allows you to then, you know, match with a mentor who is an expert in that area. And so it's sort of the surround sound and it, it is the, you know, it is a little bit of the perfection of what we've, we've put together here is once you have self-identified, these are the areas where you really want to, to grow 
and it may be for your existing job or you know even um, career opportunities the surround sound of that total development is now there so when you get to the measurement piece which is you know where your question started it then would be you know literally with the expert who is looking at you to help you to skill up and verify that learning so in the flow of work and then at that point, you know, you will come back into our J&J Learn ecosystem and your competency framework will, will change to what you have just done. So, you know, you may start at the awareness level and then end up at the expert level and that will be reflected. The magic then comes what happens, you know, happens next is because all of the AI is collecting that information on you eventually um, that will start serving up projects and jobs that are relevant for where you are in your um your, your development and your growth so i you know i bring it back to the you know the fundamentals and i you know when i started this whole journey a couple of years ago i say well how is it amazon knows me better than i know myself on what i need to shop why can't i have that at j and j around my learning and development and now we do and then on the flip side, for the education side, it's like Netflix knew me. You know, the more I use Netflix, the better my feed is. We now have that for the actual head knowledge and the learning side. So, you know, I think what I've done over the last couple of years is I've brought my consumer life into my work life. And now I've got, you know, the best experience in Amazon and Netflix for, for J&Js to do exactly the same. So... As I say, it, it now knows me, you know, J&J is really getting to know my DNA and that will help me to, you know, to, to build the skills as, you know, our business changes, the world changes. And I think it's just accelerating, you know, we COVID really made a difference. But now if you're not taking and, and being part of um, the learning experience and upskilling, it's going to be a tricky road ahead in the world that we live right now. I, I love this rabbit hole we're going down. I want to keep going. So uh, <laughs> let's th let's think about this for again the whether it's the CLO or the chief people officer or the CEO who are thinking about what to have their CLO do. Um, let's talk about what you see the future of that role and specifically. I mean, you just talked about a huge thing, but any other ways that you see AI changing the role of a chief learning officer over the next five or ten years? I mean, you know, I would say in the next two years everything that I'm talking about is going to be um, even disrupted itself, right? So, you know, you start looking at how do you produce content? That's going to change. So, you know, what skills do we need to be able to lean into that is probably the biggest problem that I'm facing, right? Is having the right talent to be able to move as the technology is enabling us to do things differently. And, you know, you're going to need to have, uh, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm very fortunate in JJ, I have, you know, I have a product team that is behind me who is always saying, look, you know, as we start to execute here, some of that work we used to do is going away and that's going to free up the capacity to move over here. And that's happening. I'm not going to say daily, but definitely quarterly, monthly, maybe. And, um, you know, it's, it's very fluid. It, you, I can't even say these are going to be the jobs that are, are in a learning and development department a year from now because it is moving at that pace. Now, what I do know is you're always going to want to have people who are looking at the skill sets required for the organization and being close to the business and in the business and getting that feedback. But all of the, you know, other part of behind the scenes, that's where the biggest change is probably going to happen. Well, I guess my next question then is if you have advice for a chief learning officer or chief people officers who's in charge of learning, as they're thinking about continuing to qualify for their own job, like, do you, do you have ideas of routines? Do you have ideas of uh, maybe new mindsets to embrace to still be the right person for that job two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say having that digital transformation lens every single day and, you know, how do you do it? And, and maybe I'll share a fun story here. Um, in my previous role, I was the um, head of uh, med tech education. And when I came into that role, 
a lot of the you know time where you're looking at how a surgeon learns a procedure, they're learning from an expert, right? You know, from their you know from their professor. A lot of the um, you know during you know COVID, we had a lot of issues of trying to help some of the younger surgeons accelerate their learning because of the access. And so you know, I went out and uh, spent some time um, you know with you know with a company looking at virtual reality and how could virtual reality help to build, you know, um, your procedural confidence and literally the steps of a procedure are pretty routine, obviously, unless something goes wrong. And so we decided to start building our procedures in our virtual reality environment. And very quickly that then moved to being able to do collaboration in virtual reality and you could then bring in the top expert surgeons into those environments. And, you know, you look now at how surgeon education's happening, you know, augmented reality or virtual reality is, is actually now proven with the data that it is a very effective um, mechanism to help our surgeons to upskill and new learner surgeons to upskill very, very quickly. So how did I get there was, you know, going externally, looking into different areas, um, you know, keeping at the edge of, of those technology breakthroughs and then starting to experiment. And, you know, some of it's going to work and some of it's not, but you've always got to keep that capacity to be able to look at, look at new things. So, you know, maybe the advice is, is, you know, I don't know, is it 20, 30% of our job is to have that external lens and be outside in rather than inside out. And you're just taking that time um, in different circles. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun going and playing with the, you know, gamification companies and, you know, going out and benchmarking. And, you know, with that, you come back with the inspiration of, of trying some bold moves and, as I say, I started to do that, you know, probably 15 years ago and it, and it just keeps going. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I have an organization where it encourages that external lens and then partnering and tinkering and figuring out where that next, you know, that, that next big change is going to be. But then there's this piece. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's getting that inspiration and, um, innovation and technology side of it but then you know the other piece that i think is equally important is remember i said i've got 130,000 employees around johnson and johnson you've got to figure out scalability and globalization and so there's the innovation side of me but there's also then the execution side of me and you've got to be able to do both because if you just bring in a great thing and it only goes to a very small audience it probably was the wrong decision so, you know, I, I definitely would urge all of, um, you know, the CLOs to think, you know, big picture, ideation, and then can you get it throughout the organization and what is that, you know, globalization and scale out, you know, scalability plan that you need. Um, change management and comms, always, always important. I, I am such a fan of learning, um, maybe at a different level than other entrepreneurs or folks. I, I, you know, back when Andy Grove was running Intel and he was like the Elon Musk of his time, you know, he's such a big deal. Uh, he wrote this book, Only the Paranoid Survive, which is, you know, still a cult classic 20 something years later. But he talks about this idea of that it's actually one of the highest leverage activities a CEO can do is get involved in their company's uh, learning. And it signals to everyone. And like you think about the duplication factor of like you in a meeting make a decision and there's some decisions only the CEO can make. But there's there's other times where it's like, you doing one thing versus duplicating that capacity in others is, you know, it, it's as you as you bring up scale, <laughs> being able to do that at scale is so valuable for a business that wants to serve customers better, make bigger profits, things like this. So, well, well, Jack, I guess my question. You, well, I was just gonna, I, I got to butt in here, right? So this is the only time I'm interrupting yeah, yeah. you. Um, as you know, J&J, um, literally just over a year ago, we had a CEO change and Joaquin Duarte came in as our new CEO. I will tell you, he is our biggest advocate and, you know, he is definitely uh, externally focused in talking about J&J as a learning culture. He believes it is the only way 
that we stay, you know, stay ahead, that every single employee needs to be um, putting their learning and their development and, you know, experimentation and even, you know, that fast fail type philosophy. Um, I have got a hundred percent support from my CEO and I, I do, I feel so blessed that, you know, when you have that, it gives you permission to do some things differently. And, um, as I say, he's, you know, he's just taking our company from strength to strength and giving every single employee the opportunity and time, um, to take this piece seriously. So, well, and it probably attracts people to want to work for you guys. By the way, what where is the best place on the website if people are looking for a new career? Yeah, jnj.com. Just go straight there and you'll see everything that we're talking about and their career navigation. And also, you know, you'll see me out on LinkedIn Learning and a lot of what we are doing in this space around, um, you know, learning and development is showing up on our LinkedIn Learning feeds right now because we are, we're, we're prioritizing that. I was, I'm happy we could go granular and go down and see what it actually looks like. You know, I feel like so often business conversations or, you know, articles in the magazines, they say so high level that the rest of us can't figure out how to adapt it for our organization. Right. But I want to go the other direction now. Okay. So I little glimpse, you know, little glimpse of what this looks granularly. Now, can you give us a principle of scale, especially as you think about 130,000 plus human beings? You know, when I started, we had 124 learning organizations, no CLO. So they're basically what that meant is a lot of people were developing great experiences for, for their group of people. And so my, you know, my first job was to really think about our operating model and um, how are we going to get connected? Um, you know, there's nothing better than having 124 learning organizations all on the same train and all running faster together. And, you know, one of the skills that, you know, I definitely brought to the table was being a completely inclusive leader in bringing all of that might of 124 teams um, together. So we set up a very simple um, operating model where the most senior learning leader across every function and sector became part of my innovation council, if you will, or my learning council. And they gave me the insights to, you know, what were they looking for, what was working, what was not working, and their big areas um, of, of need. And so we, you know, I would say we're very sector function led, right, rather than learning led, which I think is a very important point. I then put into place a couple of, um, you know, critical areas. I have a leader of strategy and innovation. So setting the, the strategy around learning and development and owning that development framework I, I've spoke about, and also owning the innovation agenda, which basically means our learning and development ecosystem and how that connects to the broader employee experience from onboarding and all the way through um, their career journeys. And once you think about having that leader of strategy and innovation, you can sort of set some standards that all 124 learning organizations need to lean into. And then I mentioned the other secret sources, we picked the big levers that are common to all around leadership, DNI, digital upskilling and well-being. And therefore the offerings that were created more from the center are relevant for all of the employees. And that served as well. Now, because we are a large organization, you always then need the engine behind you to be able to scale and get work done efficiently and effectively. And I do have a J&J Learn Service Center that help with administration and, you know, delivery and some of the instructional design. So our own instructional designers, um, you know, based uh, in our service center. So you can call it a three-tiered model, if you will, or, a, you know, um, three legs of a stool, sector and learning um, leaders, You've got the core capabilities that sit for the enterprise strategy innovation and those areas that are common to all. And then we've got the, you know, our J&J Learn Service Center. And my job was keeping all that connected, you know, having a strategic plan and a strategic roadmap that everybody was running to. And then, you know, the real magic 
we go, sometimes it's, you know, you, you wake up, you say, you know, I've got a little shower thought here, you know, why are we not running to a, you know, a bit of an audacious goal? And we only launched our ecosystem last July. So I'm talking just over 13 months. Um, and we set off a campaign, hashtag go learn. And it was one of those moments where it sort of become ingrained into Johnson and Johnson already. And, you know, as I sit here, um, we've had already engagement of 55,000 employees directly into the ecosystem. Now, remember, half our population is, you know, in our manufacturing site. So it's a different strategy there. But I'm extremely proud of the level of engagement so fast. And that was, you know, very, you know, very much a result of having that um, sector function learning leaders, 124 learning organizations all connected, all knowing what we're working on. And then they had their own change networks to really accelerate embedding this into Johnson and Johnson. So, you know, I can tell you, I sit here now with a J and J learn front door, you know, big red front door to our whole capability. And, um, you know, it's something that we're extremely proud of and is helping every employee to literally unlock their potential. But, you know, it's probably cause my, you know, my background, I have a little bit of operations in me. I have a little bit of marketing in me. I'm a good salesperson. I have a lot of resilience. And, um, you know, I've had just, you know, sponsorship from the top, from our CEO, from our CIO, from our CHRO and our business leaders that helped us to really, really move fast. Wow. That's, I mean, it sounds awesome. Uh, I want to dig into it though. So when you say this ecosystem, is this like an internal website they go to? Is this a application that's on people's phones? Like what, what does that ecosystem tangibly look like? Yeah, so um, we we have three strategic um, technology vendors that we have integrated them all together. And so when you come into the red front door of J&J, um, it actually looks like our development framework. So it encourages you to start to do your reflections and insights, and that is using um, amazing AI, so skills-based AI behind getting your DNA footprint, if you will. And so, yes, there is a technology front end that enabled that. Now, the magic is when you've done all of that hard work of your reflections and insights, you have then already started to build um, the engine for your learning, your um, mentorships, your gigs, because it is now pulling from that data set. We then, and you know, we are uh, in the healthcare space. So, you know, we have a lot of work around, you know, quality and compliance, and that's very, very important to us. So we do have one of the largest um, LMS providers working with us, and then they have put a learning experience on top of that, that is then allowing the personalization. So, as I always mention, we've got a, you know, a great tech team behind us who has literally integrated what we already had at J&J with this level of innovation that has now allowed us to be able to um, do personalized learning and development at scale linked to your career navigation. So it's a fully integrated system that allows you to do it. So it's not actually, you know, maybe the traveler, you know, travel advisor, Netflix, Amazon, ours is all the J&J Learn ecosystem, all looks the same, all connected, but it has got a couple of different technology engines behind us. Yeah. When you, okay, that that's helpful to like get the vision for it. Uh, when you think about the ratio of like how much is done uh, self-learning, you know, on, on your, you know, self-paced learning, how much is in-person group? How much is digital group? What would you guess the mix is approximately across the organization and, and what modalities am I missing? You know, Jess, that, that's, that's probably going to be a really hard question for me because I'm going to say it depends where you sit in the organization. Sure. I think, you know, let, let me try and give you the simple, simple answer. I think if you're talking, you know, professional upskilling, so, you know, taking it to a generic level, I'm going to say now 80% of that is now digitized, right? There are, you know, change management, you know, negotiation skills. A lot of that can now be done digital. But remember what I said, 
if you get the head knowledge, you still need the application and you need um, the mentorship. So that'll come from your, your, your manager. It will also come from um, the experiences you're going in. So I will say on some of our areas, we are very, very digitized. So, and, and even going further. So eventually I hope I can even get that um, further. But remember, you know, we've got our pharmaceutical business and we've got our med tech business and med tech is very much a, you know, hands-on experience. And so when you're thinking about upskilling your sales force, there is much more of the hands-on application piece. So I will say you're probably there head knowledge still, you know, 30, 40% you could do digitally. You're probably then coming into group hands-on work, probably 40%. And then you'll be actually in the field with your manager or coach or your trainer who is then helping to pull it through at 30%. So I think it really depends, you know, where you sit and, you know, maybe those are, you know, two really good examples, but, you know, what I'm trying to do is get a lot of the, um, awareness and, um, you know, early learning digitized. So it's available for all, then you can customize the group work and the application. And maybe I'll pull out to another example, you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier around you know, in our leadership practice, the number one leadership capability is coaching. So with coaching, we can go to that same equation. You need the head knowledge first, you need the practice, and then you need the support to then coach you back to say you're doing a good job. And that would be a great example where, you know, we now have an amazing digital uh, learning and you know, learning experience, but we then also have, you know, certified coaches to support. And then we're also got our managers who have upskilled to then help um, those people to, to pull it through. So it's a little bit of a, a hybrid, but, you know, you know, we're definitely moving more to completely on demand when you need it. And if it's a skill that you want to work on uh, in, in our digital ecosystem. I hope that answered the question because so, it's a little yes, varied. Yes, but it's also very encouraging it's very encouraging me to hear this because like I, I'm so in line with you. And I guess my question is, why do you think there are so many folks that think learning is just the head knowledge part? Like why, why, why do so many folks think that like that forget the other two thirds of that equation? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I, I think that's just how, you know, many of us you know, grew up, right? You know, you spend a lot of time, you know, reading books, watching videos, you know, doing e-modules and we weren't that good at thinking through the application and then the coaching piece. And that's why I said, I think some of the brilliance of, you know, people who were thinking about this, even before I, you know, I started on my, my own journey in this space, when we came up with that very robust development framework, we didn't throw it out with what I've, you know, what we've invented. We actually brought it into the flow. And we've made it easier, but I think it's dangerous. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, looking at the dimension, cause you know, all of the learning professionals are thinking about upskilling, but I would tell you when you talk upskilling, you then need to say, well, what experiences are they going to do to use those skills that you have just, you know, been learning? Cause if you don't apply it and get coaching on it, it ain't gonna stick. And so I am a huge believer in keeping, you know, that whole mix of, you know, our development framework really real and making sure in everything that we're doing, we're thinking through those those three three dimensions. And it's so easy. It's like, you know, every single person when they write a development plan, I'm trying to improve in X, what is the head knowledge I need? What is the project or experience I need? And who is somebody who is really good at it, who can help to coach me and give me feedback? And I think that has really been some of my guiding guiding principles. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier to one of your questions is, you know, Sandra, you know, you know, you know how have you thought about your own upskilling? You know, I will tell you when I went and did some benchmarking and I went to many, many places to MBA schools, 
um, to Disney, to some of the best consultancy firms and looked at what they were doing in the learning and development space. And I learned a little bit from all of them. And, you know, one of them was, um, you know, their framework around getting feedback and feedback is a gift. I've lived with that my whole career. And so, you know, that continual improvement mindset, you know, some people think feedback is negative. I've never thought that. I think it's the best thing if you're doing something and you, you know, there's something I could say, hey, have you thought about it in this way? Or, you know, what if you looked at it this way? Suddenly idea, you know, something went from, you know, something that was probably at 20% to 80% in 30 seconds. And so that culture of, of just, you know, being a continual learner, but feedback is a gift, continual improvement mindset, agility, all sort of coming to that mix. And that's why... I just think this foundation of the development framework has helped us to anchor and get everybody in line that please don't think about just one dimension. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about something you, you brought up there around coaching. I think, you know, when I was the CEO of my first investment fund, um, we had been doing training. We'd had seminars. We'd go to seminars. We'd bring people in to do seminars. I even got a facilitator trained to teach seminars at our organization. And it was good. It really was. But for, but like, I didn't realize how much I was missing until I had got a CEO coach and it just like changed so much for me. And so I started doing CEO coaching for other CEOs just for free because it like, it was like the pay it forward kind of thing. And then I got invited to take the, the course and get certified it. And it's like, I realized, man, that seminar was such a great first step in a thousand step journey. It is not the thousand step journey. It's the first, it's like the excitement to start the journey. And I see so much in the L&D world, like this shift over time from, from Sage on the stage, my, my friend Trion Muller calls him, right? Uh, of yeah. The two-day seminar, the PowerPoint, um, the percentage that have moved towards coaching and helping managers become coaches and all these kind of things. Like it does feel like a, like a, I don't know, just like a tsunami that, that, you know, I wondered if it was going to be a fad, but it seems to just year after year, like it's almost like compound interest, more and more people are adopting that. Do you see that as well? And if you do, why do you think it's happening? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. And, um, you know, it goes back maybe to, you know, very, 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 very early in my career. And, I, you know, I was, a, I was a people leader, you know, in my early 20s for production supervisors. And you learn very, very quickly that if you always give people the answers, they haven't necessarily learned what you're trying to teach them. And so actually asking the smart questions and doing listening and feedback is a much better way. And I was then, um, and I, I mentioned, you know, I, I'm not straight HR all of my career. So I've been in manufacturing operations. I've been in sales and marketing. And as a sales leader, I would tell you 80% of my job was coaching. And so I fund fundamentally believed that, you know, a leader has to be a great coach. And, you know, when you're out on a sales call, if you take over a sales call for a sales rep and then you walk out, you've done a couple of things. That poor sales consultant who has to go back again lost credibility with that customer. And so very quickly, you realize you were there to support and listen. And if, you know, the customer did ask you a question, you would do it, but you would defer it straight back to, you know, your sales consultant as fast as you could. And all of the actual feedback happened outside of the call. And, you know, I, you know, I mentioned, you know, as, uh, you know, as we came into the whole, you know, Johnson and Johnson dialogue, um, our credo has in our paragraph two about, you know, highly capable leaders. And as we've dissected that, there is no better skill and probably the number one skill as highly capable leaders is their coaching skill. And so we have invested um, across the board in, you know, we've, we've set a coaching model, um, you know, with Sir John Whitmore, the GROW model. That is the standard for Johnson & Johnson. We've upskilled, um, you, know, you know, our whole organization. Uh, we do have certified coaches to help in those instances where someone needs that special person who is not necessarily their manager, uh, but we want our managers to be great coaches. We have independent coaches. And then there are certain times where an external coach 
absolutely makes sense. But, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing the benefit of having that, you know, capability within our own organization and, and then at scale. So I, I actually think it's the biggest gift. And, you know, many of our CEOs at J&J, you know, basically say, you know, leaders really need to do two things. You know, they need to think about their people and their leadership. And so this whole coaching mindset. And the other thing is, you know, do they have the best strategic plan, the best growth plan, et cetera. And if you do that at 50-50, 50% on each of those things, you've got a good chance of being pretty successful. And I sort of lived with that mix of uh, of those two dimensions through, throughout my career. And now I'm in a position to be able to influence the agenda. Um, and, you know, as we look at our core skills, um, coaching is one of our eight. You know, we have eight core skills and one of them is, is, is the coaching. Another one is around, you know, managing teams. Listen, this, is, this has been so fun. Um, if people want to follow you online or connect with you, is LinkedIn the best place or where, where's Absolutely. good? Absolutely, LinkedIn. I am there, and I would love love to hear from you. And uh, any comments or builds on on what we've talked about here? It's it's a challenging world. Yes, you know, you know, the demands of learning and development functions. You know, during COVID was high, and we thought, you know, we did a lot of the hard work there. But actually, you know, I think our journey is just starting. And you know, you you really did bring out you know some of the right you know conversation here on you know, the digital transformation and what generative AI, intelligent automation is going to do. Um, you know, I would say, you know, helping all of the learning and development partners, you know, to be agile and move into where work is going is absolutely critical. So I'd love to hear other people's points of view and any other advice they would have for me as, uh, as I navigate this over the next couple of years. <laughs> That's so great. Well, listen, maybe to end off, um, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? I would say the best piece of advice is when you ever start with a problem, go and look outside first and do your diligence before you come up with which way you're going to go. Go and, go and do the benchmarking. Solid advice. I love it. Well, thanks again for making time for this. Well, thank you so much, Jess. I really enjoyed the conversation and um, look forward to continuing this at some time. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone.